Hear the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, that's Jesus Christ, of course. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For I say, for you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. You may be seated. He who has an ear, let the Spirit hear, let, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This seventh letter to the church in Laodicea. As we look at our next slide on the screen, you see the map of the seven churches that we looked at over the past seven weeks are in a clockwise fashion, starting with number one, going to number seven. We've seen that if you were a postal delivery man or a woman, you would have been delivering these letters along the way, all the way around the circle till you get to the final letter, the church in Laodicea. Laodicea, in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, was a city full of Syrians and Jewish people, Roman citizens and others that may not have been citizens of Rome, and one of the wealthiest cities, at this time, the wealthiest city in this province. Laodicea, the church that gets no commendation, though, no praise, they only get condemnation or criticism for their life in Christ. Laodicea, I find that there are parallels to some of the people I know in our church, some of the dynamics of our church, and I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to us today. So this is finals week for the University of Chicago and for others who are preparing for their end-of-the-year exams. And many of you are focused on your grades right now, trying to keep your grades up or get those grades up. You've only got one more chance here. This is the very end of your effort. And if the church was graded by Jesus, if Jesus, the master teacher, the rabbi, were to grade us, what grade would we get? The seven churches in the book of Revelation get grades, and I would say that I'd have to give Laodicea from the, what Jesus says here, at the very best, a D plus, maybe D minus, probably more like an F, a failure. He says, you are failing pitifully at the things that please me, but you've given yourself, if the teacher said, how would you grade this paper? How would you grade this group project? Well, you give yourself like an A minus, maybe. Probably an A plus, though, because hey, we're doing pretty well, right? Jesus says, I've given you one of the most negative reviews that you can receive, and you've assessed yourself in the most positive way possible. What's up with that? Jesus says, you're failing, and Laodicea is saying, I'm good. 
I'm good. I'm rich. I'm clothed. I'm well fed. I'm doing great things in life. I have worldly power and wisdom. I'm good. My question to us is, are you a, a Christian or are we a church that simply lives like this? I'm good. I'm good, Jesus. I'm self-reliant. That means I depend on myself, trust myself. I am self-righteous. That means I'm good. I'm a good enough person, especially compared to some people. And I'm self-resourced. I can provide for what I need. I, I can work hard. I can do better. I don't need any help from other people, especially the church or you, God. When do you hear people or when do you hear yourself saying that phrase, I'm good? When do you hear that? Maybe if you're a woman, you've said it when some guy that you're not interested in, some stranger on the train, some flirty, dirty dude says to you, hey baby, holla holla, what's up? Let me get that number, you know? And what do you say? No thanks, I'm good. Right? Or if you're a guy and you trip and fall in front of a crowd of people or you're on your skateboard or your bike and you like do one of these things you just like crash and burn, and like, people are looking at you like, I'm good, I'm good, you know, I'm good. Or maybe in life you've got this really terrible, broken area of your life, or maybe all of life is just falling apart, and everybody knows it, and people are reaching out to you saying, hey, can I, can I pray for you? Hey, haven't seen you in church for a while. Hey, can we bring anything to you? And you say, because you're, you're too burned in past relationships, you're too um, broken and hurt, you're, you're too abused and ashamed to have anyone actually help you, so you just say, knowing that you're not good, no thanks, I'm good, I'm good, I don't need prayer, I don't need help, I'm good. Laodicea was a church that thought they were good, they didn't need anything, self-resourced, self-reliant, self-righteous. Some of us are doing really well, and we need to hear this letter today saying, you still need Everything from Jesus Christ and his church is an essential part of your life. Others of you are doing really poorly. You need help, and you need to let others help you and grow in confidence that God is for you and not against you. Who is Jesus, the one who's speaking to the church in Laodicea and speaking to us today? He introduces himself in verse 14 of Revelation 3 as the word of the Amen. He calls himself the Amen. That's a pretty cool title to give himself. I am the Amen. What does that mean? Amen means what? Let it be so. It is true. It's valid. It's binding. It's, it's faithful and true, as he calls himself next, the faithful and true witness. Amen. He's simply saying, I'm all that and a bag of chips. I'm everything you need, period. See, when Jesus prayed, he didn't pray the Amen at the end of the prayer like we do, because we say, Lord, please give me that boyfriend that I desperately want, or please give me that job that I want, or please help this cancer in my body to be healed. Amen. May it be so. And we, we hope and we pray with confidence that Jesus hears us. But when Jesus spoke in the Gospels, what would he say? Amen, amen, I say to you, the kingdom of heaven is life, and then he would teach his parable or his story. He would say, amen, amen, at the beginning of his teaching. Truly, truly, I say to you, he would say, because what he's going to say, everything he says, is true, and it's always going to come to pass. How cool is that, that Jesus is the amen. Every word that comes out of his mouth is faithful and true, 100% accurate. Everything he says about you and me, the church, he says, hey, you think I'm good, but I'm saying we have some problems. Pitiable, poor, naked, and blind. What I'm saying to you is true. It's faithful. You can depend on me. 
And I'm not just giving you the brutal truth or the brutal honesty. I'm giving you loving truth. It's 100% true and it's 100% faithful, loving, good, and wise. You can trust me what I say to you today. Besides that, we're told that Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. He's the beginning of God's creation. Now, in some Christian sects and churches, including uh, the Jehovah's Witness cult, there is a, an understanding that this phrase, and others like it, mean that Jesus is the first of God's created beings. Like, okay, in the beginning there was God the Father, and He created all things. Jesus was just the first of many. And so they look at phrases like this and say, okay, so he's the beginning of God's creation. That's an ancient heresy called Arianism that says Jesus is a creature and not the creator himself. But let's look at what Colossians says about this, because in Colossians, there was a neighboring city to Laodicea. Laodicea and Colossians were kind of like twin cities, sister cities. And uh, Paul, the apostle, writing letters to Colossians, to the Colossian Christians in Colossae and to the Laodiceans, and he tells them in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, Hey, Colossians, I want you to read this letter that I'm writing you and read the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans. And I want you, Laodiceans, to read the letter to the Colossians. He says, I wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. We don't have that letter in the Bible. Wouldn't it be cool if we did? But he says, I wrote a letter to them. I want you to read it, Colossians. And Colossians, give your letter to the Laodiceans to read, kind of like the circular letters of the book of Revelation. The whole church gets the benefit from reading these letters. So what does he say in Colossians? Something very similar to Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and verse 18 tell us that Jesus is the beginning. He is the firstborn of all creation. And you're like, well, what does that mean, he's the firstborn? It means he was born first, right? No, it doesn't. Psalm 89, verse 27. David, the firstborn of his brothers, the king of Israel. But wait a minute. Where did David come in the birth order? First, do you know your history from the Bible? David came last. He was the youngest, the, the runt. He was not even going to be given a shot at being king. He was out in the field when his brothers were gathered to be anointed as king. Which one of us was going to be anointed? We didn't even think about David because he's just a no-count little brother. But he's called in Psalm 89 the firstborn. That means he's the most important brother. That means he's the chief. He's the exalted king. He is first over all of Israel. Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus was not born in heaven eternally. He's always existed. He's the great I am. He was born on earth through the Virgin Mary. But he existed forever before that as the Son of God. Jesus, the beginning of God's creation, means he's the most important. Now when he looks to the church and says, I'm the amen, I'm the faithful and true witness, I'm the firstborn, and I'm the beginning of all creation, we have some problems we need to talk about. You can't look at a man like that, the creator of the universe, and say, I'm good. I don't need you. Because, you see, you wouldn't be good if it weren't for Jesus being before you and being all around you and being in you and being through you. Jesus, being the creator of all things, doesn't just help you to be good. He helps you to be. He helps you to exist. You wouldn't exist without Jesus. So you can't ever say, I don't need you. I'm good. Don't need your church. Don't need your word. Don't need your promises. Don't need your commandments. That's insanity to say that. To the one that is the Amen, the first and last word. John 1 says he's, he was the Word in the beginning with the Father. In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning, He was with God. All things were created through Him. And without Him, nothing existed that has not been created. 
can't say that that divine being, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning, was God in the beginning, was there always and forever, and all things were created through him, you can't say, I'm good, I don't need you. His grace is immense for people that say that and still live on this, this planet that he created by his own mercy. But in Christ, in Christ the church knows that we have all righteousness, all resources, and all the things we need to rely on are found in him. Amen? Thanks, Dave. Anybody else believe that all that we have, all our sufficiency, all of our resources, all of our righteousness are found in Christ? Do you believe that he is the amen, the first and the last? Do you believe that? Amen. amen. Now, the first thing we see when he begins this letter, after he introduces himself to the church, here's who I am, let's talk about you now. Now it gets a little uncomfortable. Let's talk about you, Laodiceans. Verse 15, I know your works. They're neither hot nor cold. I wish they were one or the other. Because you're lukewarm, you're just kind of in the middle, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The first point we need to ask is, what makes God gag? What is it that brings God to the point of nausea? The point of gagging and spitting people out of his mouth? Well, I think you could summarize it by just saying it's people who think they don't need help from anyone, and they think they've got it all figured out, and they think they are good without God, and good without his people, the church. Jesus says, I know your works. I know just how good you are. It's not really that good. What I see is actually totally unacceptable. You're basically going to get spit out of my mouth if you keep living like this. Now, in this, this town of Laodicea, there were two nearby neighboring towns. We already talked about Colossae. Colossae was to the south, about six miles away, and, and they were known for their cold, pure spring waters, just delicious mineral waters from Colossae. And then there was the town six miles to the north, Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for, for its hot waters, its hot springs. You know, like Hot Springs, Arkansas? This is Hot Springs, Asia Minor. And they would have most, the most wonderful saunas and hot tubs you can imagine. People would come from miles away to, to take their ailments and their, their hurts and pains and, and dip in those waters and, and be healed by the hot, refreshing waters of Hierapolis. And as those hot springs flowed up, the water had to go somewhere, so eventually the waters would bubble over, and they would flood out over this floodplain, and they would pass over the floodplain, and there was a 300-foot cliff, and the waters eventually would drop off this cliff. And, and, and so, spreading out like that, they would pick up these minerals in the ground, and they would cool off, and by the time they would get to the cliff, they would be kind of like this slimy, briny, you know, lukewarm water. And so, as the Laodiceans are hearing the words of Jesus written to them through this letter, you're lukewarm, they could actually look out their windows and see that cliff with the waters coming down, just this nasty, lukewarm water that was really no good for anybody. And they would also hear, and you're not even cold, like the Colossians, man, they're, they're like stone-cold Christians. They're awesome, you know? Colossians didn't get criticized like this, but they also have this cold water that's good for the weary travelers, the people that are hard-working in the city and they're thirsty. On a hot, thirsty day, what do you want? You want some of that Colossians cold water. Laodiceans, you don't have any of that. They actually had to pipe their water in from uh, Colossae because they didn't have water, a water source in, in Laodicea. So they had these stone pipes that would pipe the water in. And by the time it reached Laodicea, guess what? It was lukewarm. You know, on a hot day, when you've been out cutting the grass or running a little bit, and you come in for that cold glass of water, you're out of ice, and there's no ice left, and you put the glass under the tap, and it's just warm, tepid water and you drink it, it just doesn't taste very good. And Jesus says, when I see the way you're living, the way you're saying, I'm good, I don't need anything, but you're really not hot, 
You're really not cold. You're, you're really not useful to anybody. You're just thinking about yourself all the time. You know what God says? That's what he says. Yuck! Disgusting. I can't even tolerate that. I have to spit that out of my mouth. That's what makes God gag. Is When people think we got it all figured out, we, we don't need you, God. We don't need anybody else. We don't need Hierapolis or Colossae. We don't need other Christians. We don't need the church. We're good. Jesus says that's very disappointing to hear. Nauseating, actually. I alone am your righteousness. I alone am your reliance. I alone am what you need. The second point that he brings out in this letter is that Jesus begins to counsel us. He says in verse 18, I counsel you. I counsel you. He counsels us in three ways. The first is, you see verse uh, 17 and 18 talk about the prosperity of the Laodicean church. Remember, this is uh, the wealthiest city in this region. They didn't need anything. There was an earthquake in 60 A.D., probably just before this letter was written. 60 A.D. destroyed the whole city of Laodicea. Who do you think they called? FEMA? The Red Cross? The National Guard? No, they didn't even call Rome. They said, Rome, we got this. We don't need your money. We don't need centralized government. We're self-sufficient. They rebuilt the entire city with their own city funds. That's how wealthy they were. Tacitus, an ancient Roman, wrote, Laodicea Laodicea arose of the ruins by the strength of her own resources with no help from us. I'm good. I don't need you. I can do whatever I want because I'm that rich. I'm that prosperous. I'm resourced. I'm reliant on myself. I'm righteous in my own good deeds. Now, there's a benefit to being so self-reliant that you don't need other people to bail you out. You don't need to go out and beg or borrow or steal. There's a, a good factor going on here that Rome wasn't needed. They could just rebuild because they were that rich. Nothing wrong with having resources and not needing to reach out in desperation for someone. But each strength that you and I have in each strength of the church could also be its weakness. You know, each good thing ha- also has a dark side. And so when you're that rich or that smart, or that good, or that whatever, and you don't ever say, God, help, I need mercy, I need you, I need to lean on someone else for a while, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when you begin saying, I'm good. I got here by myself, I don't need help from God or you. And and it makes God gag when he hears the church say that. He says, listen to me, I have some counsel for you, I have some wisdom. You're not really rich when you say that. Why not? Well, three reasons this is a problem to think like this. One is maybe you're actually rich, you actually do have everything you need in this life, and so it stops you from seeing your true ultimate spiritual needs. That I don't need God, I've got everything I need right now. I don't need God. That's a major problem, if you think you don't need God. Second reason this is a problem, what if you aren't rich, you don't have a lot, you do need a lot of help, and so you're dying trying to get rich, trying to get those worldly goods that you don't have, and you're trying so hard, and when you get a taste of it, or when you do get on your feet and you get stability, you say, I don't really need God anymore. I really was just in this for the money, or for the comfort, or whatever it is, fill in the blank. Don't need you anymore, God, I'm good. There's a third way that we do this, which is, once again, we don't have the resources we need, maybe we're not rich, maybe we're not great in life, maybe we're not influential, and, and yet we look to God and we say, God, I do need you. Help me, Lord. Give me your word. Give me your scriptures. And then we begin manipulating God and using him and using his word simply to get what we want. Now, of course I need God. I need God so I can get what I want. 
Give me that girlfriend, give me that spouse, give me that job, give me that car, give me that whatever. You fill in the blank. We're using God. We're even saying, I'm going to claim the promises that work for me to get what I want so I can be good. Jesus says that is sickening. When people think like that, that they don't need me or they use me to get what they do want, that's sickening. What does Jesus counsel us to do? I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined by fire. That means the purest, the best. Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Now, they were rich. What is he saying? So that you may be truly rich. We're not talking about Roman coins anymore. We're talking about true, eternal treasure. Now, what is the greatest treasure in the universe? Dead presidents? No. What is the greatest treasure in the universe? Come on, church. Heaven. God. Christ, right? This is, this is what Colossians says once again. Colossians, remember, the sister city of Laodicea. They were going to be reading this letter, so I can read it. I can read this today when we're talking about the, the letter to Laodicea. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul struggles for the Colossians. He says, I struggle for you, Colossians, and for those at Laodicea. See the link there? It's pretty obvious. I'm struggling for both of you, Twin Cities, that your hearts may be encouraged. I'm not just coming to like slam you. I'm not coming just to give you hard rebukes. I want you to be encouraged. I want your hearts to be knit together in love. That means I want you Christians to lean on each other, to rely on each other in love, to reach all the riches. You hear that word riches, right? I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. See, this is the richness. This is the mystery. This is the gold. This is the treasure. Christ. I, I, I'm struggling for you so that you would know Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures. There it is again. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me give you some advice. Later, scenes, Jesus says, buy from me gold that's pure and better than anything in this world. Buy from me me. Buy from me knowledge of the treasures of wisdom that come in me. This is free, by the way. You're going to buy it for free because I've already given it to you by my own gracious death. And in my resurrection, you get all the treasures for free simply by asking. You can have everything you need, church, that says, I'm good. I'm telling you what you really need. You need me. If you're trying to prove yourself to God, if you're trying to prove yourself to other people, if you want to be rich in yourself or your own good deeds and say, I really don't need Jesus to die for me or to live in my life or to be my boss and my Lord and tell me what to do. If you think you're good without Jesus, listen to what Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 says. Galatians 2, 21 says, If we could earn God's favor by keeping the law, by being good in ourselves, then Christ died for who? For nothing. Why would Jesus even come if we could be a self-sufficient church? He would waste his time and waste his life. Galatians says, if, if you could be a good person on your own, why would Jesus have come? Jesus counsels us, buy from me what you really need. He says, secondly, I, I want to counsel you about your choice of clothing, or in this case, your lack thereof, your lack of clothing. Okay, let's talk about the clothes you wear. He says, I know you Laodiceans are known for your, your flocks of sheep that are out there grazing on the meadows, and those sheep are some of the finest in the world, and they give us some of the finest um, 
shiniest, sleek black wool that the world's ever seen. And this wool was renowned worldwide, and people would come to make beautiful garments out of it, beautiful clothes. And so the Laodiceans were known for their fashion and their beauty. And Jesus says, I've got a word for you. You're actually naked, church. You're naked. You think you're clothed in rich and fine garments, but you're naked. Now, literally, they weren't naked. They weren't coming to church naked. Thankfully, no one's come to Living Hope naked yet. Thank, thank the Lord for that. But he says, spiritually, you're naked. You're covering yourself with all these worldly goods, all these layers and insulation to tell other people, I'm good. I don't need that. You're pretending. You're posturing. You're performing for the world. He says, I see right through it. X-ray vision. You have nothing spiritually to cover yourself with, and it's shameful. We need to, get, we need to reclaim a biblical theology of nakedness today. Go back and read the Old Testament. Look for all the, you know, grab a concordance, look up all the instances of the word naked in the Old Testament and see what kind of, what kind of a sense you get from that. Usually the word naked is used when, after Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, after, the, after sin came into the world, it's always used in a shameful way, right? They were shameful, so they covered themselves with leaves and then God gave them animal skins and so on. And, and throughout the Bible, there's judgments and curses put on people. I'm going to make you naked. I'm going to pull your skirt up over your head. I'm going to strip you of your clothes. I'm going to rip the back of your pants off in front of your enemies. And they're going to laugh at you. It's humiliating. It's humbling. It's judgment. It's shameful. We really need to recover a theology of nakedness. Because what do we do in our culture? That's summertime in Chicago, right? What's the word on the street? Less is more, right? More skin, right? Yeah. See? Tighter the better, right? On the internet, I mean, it's nakedness everywhere you look. We need to recover a theology that says this shouldn't be. But the Bible isn't talking about just clothes here. I'm not just talking about modesty in the clothes you wear. I'm not trying to rail and rant on you know, how you dress so much. It's, it's important to be modest. Yes, it is. The Bible says it is. But the Bible gets under the surface, digs a little deeper. It's not just your outer appearance that matters to God. That matters, but he looks at the heart. The New Testament focuses on this idea of nakedness in terms of clothing yourself with things like humility, love, clothe yourselves with Christ. Where does that come from? Colossians again. Hello, the letter to the Colossians. Okay, clothe yourselves, Christians, Laodiceans, with humility. Now, I'm good. I got this. I can do it by myself. Humility. Otherwise, you're naked. Clothe yourselves with love. I just love myself. I don't need anybody else. I see their needs, but they're on their own. I got what I need, and I'm good. Clothe yourselves with love. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Then you'll be truly rich and truly clothed. I can act however I want. I can say whatever I want. I can wear whatever I want. That's the church of Laodicea. And Jesus says, it makes me sick when I hear that. Listen to me. He says, I will clothe you. I will love you. He says, you don't have to prove yourself to me by what you're wearing. People are crying out, look at me, look what I'm wearing. Look at the message on my clothes, on my tattoos. Look at me, look at my hairstyle, look at my... Look, I want attention. Jesus says, you don't need to get my attention. I've, I've already seen you, seen your works, and I still love you, even though I know just how bad you are. If you would come to me, I'll cover your shame and honor. I'll cover your filthiness and righteousness. I'll cover your pride and humility. I'll cover your wounds and healing. I'll cover your guilt with forgiveness. Let me cover you, he says, with my love. And then Jesus says, I'm going to count to you about one more thing here, the, your eyesight. You're blind. I know you Laodiceans, you live in this city that was well known for that medical school. 
And in that famous medical school, the institute, the Laodicean Institute for the Eye or something like that, the Laodicean Eye Institute, I don't know what it was called, but you made this really famous eye ointment. It was a salve or an ointment, like a little medication for your eyes, because back in those days, you know, there were these flies that would sometimes fly around and they would lay little eggs, little tiny eggs that were almost imperceptible in people's eyes. And, you know, they would cause disease and sometimes even blindness. And for other reasons, they had to make some ointment. So they got busy in the, in the lab and they whipped up some chemicals. I don't know exactly what it was. It was called the, the powder of Phrygia, which was the region they were in. And they had some world-famous eye ointment. We got this. We don't need God to heal us. We don't need miracles. We don't need prayer. We've got our eye ointment. Hello. We're the latest things. We're self-sufficient. I'm good. Don't need you, Jesus. Jesus says, well, actually, let me tell you what I see. I see that you're blind. I see that you don't know what's past your own nose, your own navel. I, I see that you just keep looking at yourself and thinking all of yourself and thinking, I'm good. I don't need anybody else. I don't need to help anybody else. Jesus says, I see, I see right past that. It's, it's blindness that I see. He says, you're a selfie generation. What do I see? I see Christians all over the city taking selfies of themselves, posting about themselves. It's all about me. What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? Jesus says, that's a problem. Makes me sick. Talking about yourself all the time, spending so much time looking at yourself. That's blindness. Spiritual blindness. Now, I've had several blind friends over the years, and I would say I, I've... I would say they, they could see spiritually better than many of the people I, that I know that have 20-20 vision, biologically speaking. Jesus says, for all of you who have eyes to see, watch what I'm doing. If you have ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying to the church. I imagine many of you have trouble seeing past your own needs to the needs of others. When you say... I'm fine. I can see just fine. I, can, I know what I need, and I don't need God's Word to tell me what to do. Jesus says, that's blindness. Or if you say, I know God's Word is important. It's true. I believe that, but I just don't have time to read it. I just don't have time to come and fellowship with Christians. I know it's important, but I just don't have time. Jesus says, that's, that's not true. It's blind. I've given you seven days a week, and I've given one of those days for you to, to worship and fellowship. I, I've given you my Word to read. There's a lot of pages in here. Stop making excuses. He says, that's, not, that's, that's lukewarm. I want, I want hot Christians. I want stone-cold, cold Christians that are focused on what's important and what's truly good and glorious. I want you to lock in on me, Jesus says, and see what I can see. See things that are eternal. See things that are more important than what's on the outside. Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 39, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. He came to heal the blind. But he also came so that those who see may become blind. People that say, I don't need Jesus. I can see just fine. I'm good. He says, oh, okay, I'm going to strip you down. I'm going to show you your true blindness if that's how you believe. If you think that you can live life without Jesus, you, you can't really see past your nose. If you think you need nothing, you're not seeing clearly. If you think, I'm good, I've got this, Jesus says, you don't have anything. Everything you need is in me. One of our members who uh, used to be a part of our church years ago told me some years ago, I don't need anybody right now in my life. I'm good. I don't want you to be a part of my life. I don't want other people reaching out to me right now. I can do this on my own. Use the phrase, I'm an island unto myself, you know, quoting the famous poet, you know, I'm an island unto myself. Well, 
the only problem with that statement and that, that way of thinking is in the very moment that I was having this conversation with this person, I said, well, didn't you call me this morning and ask me to pick you up because you don't have a car and you needed a ride? And you didn't have bus fare? And didn't you just ask me if I know anybody that has a couch you could sleep on because you don't have a place to live? And didn't you just ask to borrow some cash from me? You see how blind we can be? I don't need you. I'm good. I got this. But because of what it is, shame, fear, self-righteousness, and, and all sorts of various forms, we say, I don't need your help. And we're the most needy people on the planet. Jesus says, I know the truth. Let's just be honest. You need me. You need the church. Humble yourself. Clothe yourselves in humility. Start seeing clearly. The blind man that John, John describes in John chapter 9 that Jesus healed, the blind man was healed. He was blind from birth. And the, the Pharisees looked at him and said, how in the world did you get your sight back? Who did this? Who healed you? We want to know. And he said, I don't know who he was or how it happened. I can't explain it medically. All I know is I was blind and now I see how do you get spiritual sight? How do you get recovery of sight when you're blind? You have to just ask Jesus, heal me. I don't know how it happens, but you ask the Lord, open my eyes, and he'll do it. He'll give you that special ointment, that miracle medicine that only he can provide. He'll open your eyes to see what is real and true in this world. Pray that prayer. Help me, Lord, to humble myself. In my blindness, help me to see that you are the true Lord of my life. And to see others how they really are so that I can help them as well. It's painful. You know, when you go to the eye doctor, I don't really enjoy that a lot. Getting those drops that dilate your pupils, you know, when you go out into the sunlight, you're like, whoa, way too bright. And then they, they force your eyes open and they say, you know, I'm going to give you a little puff of air to see if you have, you know, uh, eye disease. And then they say, I'm going to make you read this chart, which always stresses me out. Like, I'm trying to read the eye chart. It's all blurry. I'm like, I don't know. Is it this one or this one? Is it A or B? I don't know. They look both blurry. I don't know. It always stresses me out. I don't enjoy it, especially when you, like, get something in your eye. Like, I've had things in my eye before. Got to go to the doctor and get things removed out of your eyeball. Definitely not a fun feeling. It's, it's painful to have your eyes operated on, to have your eyes adjusted, so to speak. But Jesus says, you need corrective lenses. You need gospel glasses. You need an appointment with me to get your vision corrected. Not going to be comfortable, not going to be fun, but it will be a healing experience for you. And that's the final point that we see here from this letter. The last few verses Jesus says is, I've got some healing words to give you, and they're hard words. Look what he says in verse 19 and following. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. That means I'm rebuking them and giving them hard words to hear. I'm disciplining them, but I do it because I love you. So listen, repent, be zealous, get, get some spiritual heat underneath you. Let God put a fire under you so that you can come in line with reality. Please don't say today after hearing God's word, I don't need that. I don't need that message. I'm good. Jesus says, I'm not trying to hurt you because I don't like you. I, I'm telling you things you need to hear because I love you. Say, hey, your vision's off. You're naked. You're not really as rich as you think you are without me and my word and my people. I discipline those I love. I know it's a hard word, it's a word of discipline, but I discipline those I love. Proverbs and Hebrews pick up on this theme. Proverbs chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. My child... Do not regard lightly, don't just blow this off, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Don't say, man, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm tired of having God discipline me. 
For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises or spanks every son whom he receives. Discipline is God treating you as his child. God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness and have a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Jesus says, I love you. I know these are hard words, but I'm saying them because I love you. I want you to change. I want you to grow. I want you to grow up. Not just be a little child forever. So repent. Be zealous. Stop living that lukewarm life. Get some fire in your bones. Criticism alone is going to shut us down. I know that. If I just said, church, you're all wrong. Jesus is rebuking you, and you're just messed up people, and you're nauseating. I mean, what would you do with that? You'd be like, I'm done with this. I've had enough. I'm tuning it out. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. But Jesus doesn't just criticize this church. He warmly, lovingly welcomes them in. He says to the people that say, I'm good, I don't need you, Jesus. He says, well, I'm I'm just going to wait right here, outside the door. And I'm going to knock. And you're going to hear my voice. If you hear my voice and recognize a a loving, gracious God behind it, then then open up and come in. Enter in, and and you can eat with me, and I will eat with you. I'm just going to stand right here. Now, Jesus isn't standing outside the door because he's weak, and he can't open it. He doesn't have the key. Now, last week we looked at he opens any door he wants and no one can shut them. And what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus is the sovereign master of the universe. He's not standing outside the door because he's weak and he's just simply waiting on you, biting his nails like, oh, I really hope that they open the door and have fellowship with me. I really hope that they open the door and repent of their sins and, and you know, regain their, their true spirituality. I, I, he's not waiting like that. The fact that he's waiting means he's being patient with you. He's being gracious. But guess what? I would assume that lukewarm people aren't going to go open the door for Jesus. People say, oh, well, I'll get around to it eventually. It's no hurry for me. I can change later. I can just live my life right now how I want. And you know what? This doesn't really, it didn't really affect me today, so I'm just going to wait. I'm going to put it off until I feel like doing it. Those people never open the door for Jesus. If you feel that way, you need to pray, Jesus, please stir my heart. Give me some heat. Open my eyes. Let me see you today. But those who hear Jesus' voice, come, come in, open the door. Let me come in and I will eat with you and you will eat with me. The riches and the blessing. Can you imagine some of the things we've been talking about from the letters to the Revelation? Such intimacy, face-to-face fellowship with Jesus awaits you. The most loving relationship you've ever known. The words of the faithful and true one who will never lie to you. He'll only tell you what you need to hear. He's waiting to dine with you. He's not just waiting. He said, look, I've already prepared the table for you. Today we're having communion. I forgot to have communion last week, I, I must admit. At the end of my sermon, I was like, hey, we're done. And people were like, you didn't do everything. I was like, well, we're done. Amen. You're blessed. Get out of here. And like, you forgot communion. How could I forget communion? I'm not forgetting today. Jesus is waiting. He's knocking. He's sitting at the table. He says, I've prepared a table for you, my own body, my own blood. Beyond that, the last few verses of Revelation say, I've got a throne prepared for you. I'm already sitting on it, the throne of me and my father, he says, and I'm going to also grant you to sit with us because you are my sons and daughters. You're royalty. This is the table of a king. Come and feast with me. Come and have rule with me. Begin to really live life the way you were meant to live. The door is open. I'm knocking. I'm waiting. Come and enter in. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we've heard the words of your Son, Jesus, who is faithful and who is true. He is the creator of all things. And if it weren't for him, we wouldn't even exist. And yet we say, 
I'm okay. I'm good. Lord, change our mindsets. Change us. Give us repentance, God, so that we would say, I'm pitiful. I'm poor. I'm blind and I'm naked. And I need you, Jesus. You are my everything. You're my all in all. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming us to come after all that we've done, after all that we haven't done, which you've done is enough, which you've done is sufficient. You have died on the cross for our sins. You've raised from the, the tomb on the third day and you sit at the right hand of God on the throne and you welcome us unbelievably to come and sit with you, to come and feast with you, to all that have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. We hear you, Jesus, and we come in your name. Amen.